two of my very dearest friends in the world. Smell that? Football is just around the corner. <laughs> oh, it's about time. I have been left to going on YouTube and watching old games for crying out loud. Oh. If you would turn to John 16. I don't know if this is a good idea to turn all of the elders loose on you on the same day, but here we go. John 16, verse 33. We're going to start reading at verse 31. Jesus asked, do you finally believe? But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you all this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. This verse is recorded by John at the end of Jesus' last discord to his disciples. Right at the end of the supper, and just before Jesus's high priestly prayer in John 17. Before verse 33 of chapter 16, Jesus has told what is now the 11 that he was going to go away and that they were going to be on their own without a leader. And like any group without a leader, Confusion and chaos often follows, right? Jesus understood this and wanted to leave them this last encouragement. Let me read it one more time. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Well, Here we are, 2,000 years later, and we are still without him physically. And do you think we still need this same encouragement? Do you think we need it? The Greek word translated tribulation, trials, or sorrows means crushed with weight. Many of you know that I am going through a little bout with sciatica. And that bag I carry my wife's and my Bible's in sometimes is more weight than my body wants to handle at this point. So I understand what that crushed with weight can feel like. Jesus told his disciples, and by extension us, ahead of time that they and we would experience heavy trouble after he was gone. Now, Anyone in this room testify to those sorrows and trials and troubles? 
come on. Can you testify that those trials and troubles are still here? Maybe it came or has come in the form of a medical diagnosis or a financial setback, a relationship issue, the death of a loved one, a loved one's rejecting Christ's claims, or even anguish over the, the direction of our beloved country. All of these things and more can cause us to feel like we are carrying the weight of the world. That's the beauty of this verse. Jesus told us beforehand this would be the case and that our association with him will give us what we need to endure these trials with grace. Not just endure the trials, but endure the trials with grace. So how does that happen? Well, the Bible is filled with a gazillion clues to how that happens. But I think there is a great summation in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you would turn there. Hebrews is after Genesis, so it's almost to the end, actually. Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to start at 1, but it's 2 I'm going to land on. Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And this is important. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And that race may include those trials and sorrows and tribulations. Amen? And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. So we, keep, we do this, this living out, the possibility of being able to look at life's trials with grace by keeping our eyes on Jesus. For you, is he the one to whom you run with undivided attention? Is he the one that you run to with undivided attention? If you are, and especially if you aren't, I can't encourage you strongly enough to rehearse the gospel for yourself at some point Every single day. Rehearse the gospel. Do you understand the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Can you recite the gospel to yourself? It is so pivotal 
that I am reminded what Jesus accomplished for just me so that I can face with peace. Peace because I have been reconciled with God, whatever the world can throw at me. Now, I told you uh, the last time I was up here preaching that I have gotten in the habit of looking at a couple of YouTube videos of songs that just really hit the mark for me. And I want to read the lyrics on one of them. Have any of you ever gone and checked out these videos that I suggested? <laughs> me on your mind? Honey in the rock? But this is the one that Karen and I hear the last thing before we go to sleep. It's me on your mind. Who am I? Who am I? that the king of the universe gives one single thought about my broken heart? Who am I that the God of all grace wipe the tears from my eyes and say, come as you are. You paid the price. You took the cross. You gave your life. And you did it all with me on your mind. The gospel. Jesus, if you were the only person in the whole universe that ever sinned, he would have gone to the cross for you. Matthew West in that song makes it sound like some of those verses, some of those, the prodigal son, he says, that was written with me on your mind, that I would leave and I would, that you would bring me back to yourself and that you would run to me. To meet me when I came. Rehearse the gospel to yourself every single day so that when those trials and sorrows and tribulations hit you, you know that God is with you in the middle of it. Amen? Amen. Dennis, you're up. Well, I'm, I'm glad Dan said something first about all of us coming up because I think some of you are thinking, hey, Roger's done. That wasn't so bad. And it's, it's time for a picnic. No. Um, when I have a chance to speak, I tend to choose topics that I need to work on, I need to hear, I need to research. And um, that's what we're going to do today. I'm a little bit selfish, so it's, this is for me. And if you benefit from it, Great. I think you will. Uh, you've heard it said that Christianity is, a, is not a religion, it's a relationship. Uh, it's our relationship with God. Um, well, today we're going to look at what many call a quiet time, or personal devotions, or morning watch. There's a number of names for it. Um, I'll refer to it as a quiet time. This is a Intentional time alone with God. So, 
One source that I was reading says maybe 20% of Christians do this. So we can do better you know, as a church, as individuals. Um, how much time do you spend alone with God? That's what a relationship is. And um, one thing is prepping for teaching or preaching That's kind of like a, a sila in Psalms, where it's pause and there's an interlude. Um, <clears throat> no, prepping for teaching or preaching is not a personal devotion. And so there's times where I prep for teaching, and I well, kind of counts, doesn't it? I'm in the Word. Um, no. Why do we? Why is? Why are personal devotions important? Um, just recharge our spiritual batteries to stay familiar with God's voice and his words to us, to, to stay in the habit of bringing everything to God in prayer. Just concerns, hurts, praises, and to keep short accounts with God, just to stay prayed up, to confess regularly. This is important. Okay, let's, let's pray real quick. Lord, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this morning, the celebration of this church um, in 27 years of serving you. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'll just help me to be clear, help me to not fumble this, but um, to speak your words clearly. We ask this in your name. Amen. Uh, John 15, 4 and 5. I'm going to go quickly because we'll run out of time. Uh, <clears throat> It's going to be a word that shows up over and over and over again in these two verses. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Do you hear that word? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. What does abide mean? It means to dwell with, to, um, to remain in unison with. Be one with. This is what abide means. doesn't mean show up for church pretty regularly. That's not abiding. Um, lots and lots of references to great spiritual leaders, men in the, from the Bible, and later throughout history, spending time alone with God intentionally. Uh, Daniel 6.10, let me just read one. This is right after the, the law was passed that you can't pray to any God. You have to pray to this this statue, and this is kind of what got Daniel thrown in the lion's den, Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as he had been doing previously. This is a regular part of, of Daniel's life. It got him into the lion's den. And got him out of the lion's den, I would say. Um, Luke 5, 15, and 16. Uh, it's not just great men of the Bible. But the news about him was spreading even farther, and large crowds were gathering to, to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So just looking around, we're not greater than Jesus. If he needed it, we need it. You know, I don't know what reasons you have for not 
spending time with God, but they're not valid. Um, so how do we do this? How do you start having personal devotions? How do you start it again if you've done it before, but you've kind of gotten a little slack? Uh, how do we get this going again? How do we refresh it? First of all, you commit to it. Commit to having a daily quiet time. Um, you make it a priority. So what is a priority? Um, Barb and I have been going swimming at the Y just for exercise and stuff. And you measure a priority by what does it take to knock it off your schedule. It doesn't take a lot to knock the, the swimming. And my, my hand kind of hurts today. You know. We'll skip that. Um, so for personal devotions, it needs to be a priority. And initially, as you're getting started, link it to a priority. Uh, for me, breakfast is a priority. I can't remember missing breakfast, ever. So a real simple thing is no breakfast until after your quiet time. What could be simpler? Um, and some people don't have quiet times because they're uncomfortable just confronting God by themselves, just because of besetting sins or things that are in the way that hurt your relationship. Deal with those sins. So... Commit to having a quiet time. Just decide you're going to do it. Find the right time. Mark 1.35, it says, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Jesus got up early in the morning. Morning works great. I've heard of people say, Well, no, I, I like it best before going to bed. You know, I've heard someone say, Well, it's kind of like putting on the whole armor of God and then getting in bed. Um, if you're going to get ready for your day, put on that armor and go out. Um, morning is good. If it doesn't work for you, pick a time that does work for you. Um, three, find the right place. Okay. Something private, dedicated to your quiet time, um, different from your normal activities. I have my chair, and I do a lot of my, my study and my surfing and, and TV watching and all that stuff in that chair. Well, it's... It's easier to go find another place to have my quiet time because I can be distracted more easily in my chair. Um, Matthew, the right place. Matthew 6, 6. Uh, Jesus said, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Good quote to remember is the secret of prayer is prayer in secret. Okay. There's a place for corporate prayer, but private prayer in secret is, is crucial. That's, that's what works. So commit, right time, right place. Pick a structure or a framework. How are you going to do this? What are you going to do once you sit down? And um, so let me ask you a question. What's more important, prayer or Bible reading? Kind of rhetorical, you're not going to have an answer, you'll get it wrong. Um, it's kind of like saying, what's more important, your heart or your lungs? Right? They're both there. So your, this structure should include prayer and Bible reading. Um, and the navigators have a good 
way of putting it together. I was involved with them in college. Um, prepare your heart. Take 30 seconds, less than a minute. Just prepare your heart, a short prayer, just some quick confession. Ask the Lord to remove distractions, just where you can sit and relax. And the purpose is to enjoy this time. Just take a few minutes of quick prayer, then Bible study, Bible reading. It's not study. I find I go to a different Bible than I use for my study. I love my MacArthur Study Bible, but I, there's a lot of rabbit trails that you can take with those. So just get a simple reading Bible, and, uh, and you're there just to read and enjoy. Um, so take some time. could be a different translation even. I've done, I'm doing that. Um, take some time to read. We'll get in a second what you read. Um, prayer after that. Just now, a little more extended time of prayer. Um, keep a list of, if you want, but a time of prayer. Some people will use a devotional book, you know, the um, Daily Bread or Spurgeon's Morning and Evening or something along those lines. Um, you can do that journaling. Some people will have a journal just to write down what they're learning, what they're seeing, maybe prayer requests. Um, someone says it, it shows God that you're paying attention. You're writing down things that he's leading you in. Um, then you study what interests you. Have a plan. It should be in the Bible somewhere. Take a book and just work your way. Some people, for me, it's a chapter a day. I just find that that works well. The through the Bible in a year plan doesn't work for me because I get behind and I feel guilty and then try to catch up and, and it's, it takes kind of some of the joy out of it. You just feel guilty. And... Uh, for me, I'm not disciplined enough to where that's a, that's a problem. Find something that works for you. Some people can walk, use an audio Bible, and listen to it. Um, okay. The main thing, number seven, is start small. <clears throat> no one knows how long you're taking prayer. <coughs> Excuse me. Getting over a cough. <coughs> Roger didn't drink out of this one. <clears throat> yeah. It happens. <coughs> Start small. The navigators talk about starting with seven minutes. <clears throat> maybe 10, maybe 15. The important thing is to enjoy it. To look forward to it. <clears throat> and begin today or tomorrow morning. Okay. <clears throat> Let's close in prayer. Lord, I just thank you for <clears throat> the freedom to approach the throne boldly, as we learned last night. <clears throat> and I pray, Lord, that we will approach the throne boldly, and see it as a time of joy, a time of, of release and refreshing. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen. Now my friend Mitch is coming. <coughs> Don't drink any more. <laughs> Who's got the lights off? <laughs> oh. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not doing that.
He's got my timer going. <laughs> it's not happening. So good morning. So I'm here to share what's on my heart that may have some relevance to our journey as Christians on this earth. What I'm going to speak about is who we are called to be as believers adopted into the family of God through Christ. We are in this world, but we are not supposed to be of this world. In our country at this time, we are experiencing a level of conflict and dissension that I don't recall in my lifetime. Now, I know I'm not as, um, haven't, haven't had as much life experiences as some of you folks here, but I'm no spring chicken either. So, we are seeing a level of political unrest as well as social unrest, like I don't remember. The anger and lack of tolerance that exists today is staggering. Here's an example that is fairly close to home. A gentleman named Anderson and his girlfriend had just enjoyed a trip to Lincoln City where they had dreams of buying a home. On their return trip home, he sprayed his windshield wash he sprayed his windshield with washer fluid to clean it. They saw that some of the fluid may have hit another car near them. The other driver became so angry that as they continued on, the other driver seemed to be attempting to hit their car or force it off the road. They decided to pull over at a rest area and call 911. When they stopped, Anderson got out of the car, first mistake, while his girlfriend dialed 911. The other car pulled up beside them and fired several shots, killing Anderson. That happened in the middle of July this year. There's probably a little more to this story, but the result is the same. This is one example of the breakdown of common human decency in the world. Proverbs 14.29 Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. What are some other words for folly? Imprudence, rashness, mistake. Foolishness, indiscretion, madness, lunacy. We as human beings can become so offended with the slightest perceived offense. I remember a time when we could laugh at ourselves. I can remember a time when somebody would give me a hard time about something that I did, whether it was at work, whatever, and we just laugh. Now... It's, you better watch out. We as human beings can become so offended with the slightest perceived offense, yet as blood-bought, purchased, purchased by Christ believers, we are to display a different countenance. John fourteen twenty seven. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
The peace spoken of here is literally the peace of Christ. This is the peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace, knowing that we are free from sin, we have been justified. We are in a right relationship with God through Jesus. My peace I give to you. We are called to be separate from the world, but still in the world. In other words, we are not to act the same as those around us. Yet it is so easy to fall into the same pattern. Now is where it hits individually, myself included. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, expected by God to lift one another up, to encourage one another, to show one another grace and mercy as our Heavenly Father has and continues to offer us. It is truly tragic what is happening in churches all across our nation. There is a tear in the fabric of the body of the church. The tear is largely due to the world around us and the stress it is putting on us all. Is that because we're so focused on the world that we don't look to our Heavenly Father? I heard something the other day on the Internet. It was a guy who said, we need to stop looking at our phone and start looking to the throne. And I thought, man, is that right? The terror is largely due to the world around us and the stress it is putting on us all. It seems we have forgotten that the body of Christ is made up of people from all walks of life with different talents, gifts, and callings within one body. We are easily offended by someone else's opinion, understanding, or how they handle a certain situation, even if it impacts only them. Have we missed the point that God is the one that orders the steps of his own? That there is not another person on the entire planet that thinks exactly like me. We all have different experiences in this life. How we were raised, what joys and difficulties we experience. Our personalities are all different. Therefore, how things impact us and what impacts us is not the same from one individual to another. Two people can be in the exact same place at the same time seeing the same thing. And if you were to ask each of them separately, what had an impact on you or how did this affect you, it's going to be different. Something stands out for one person that the other person didn't even see and vice versa. We literally are individual people in, in so many respects. We truly are unique, yet God has created and formed us as he sees fit according to his purpose. We must strive to not easily offend or be offended, especially within the context of our calling as Christians. If we act the same as the world around us, 
not showing one another grace, then how can we draw people to our Savior? This is truly a litmus test of the condition of our hearts. I don't know about you, but I need to constantly check my heart. Am I harboring a negative opinion or holding on to anger because my heart of flesh is beginning to solidify into a heart of stone? Please don't misunderstand. This is all in relationship to the truth of God's word. That is our guide and test. If something is evil, then there is justified anger. But even in that, we are called to pray. I recently finished reading the book, The Hiding Place, by Corey Ten Boom. I don't know how many of you are familiar with that book. I see a few, a few grins and a few head nods. So Corey Ten Boom and her family were hiding Jews from the Nazis. And if you have not read that book, you have to read that book. That book is something that every individual in this nation needs to read. In the book, the individual that revealed Corrie ten Boom and her family and their work to hide Jews from the Nazis is, main, is made known to them after spending truly inhumane treatment in concentration slash work camps. So she learned of who this individual was while she was in a concentration camp, but after she had been there long enough that the, the, the conditions were unbelievable. When Corey found out, she was so angry, she said if he were standing before her at that moment, she would easily kill him on the spot. It turns out that he was someone from their own community. And he wasn't a German or a Nazi. Her sister said that she was praying for him due to the anguish he must feel from all the people he helped to put in the concentration camps. Corey's response was, my sister must be from someplace else. How could she pray for this man? When you look at that in retrospect to our hurts or offenses we have endured, it should cause us to reconsider who and why we are at odds within our own Christian body. Let's look at Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 17. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, 
to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whose are we? How are we, conduct, how are we to conduct our lives? Let's constantly try to remember that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that we might take the time to assess our own hearts and strive to forgive others as we are constantly forgiven by our Heavenly Father through Christ. To not be easily offended and try not to offend, but that we would have a forgiving spirit that we would be able to show one another the grace that we are shown. Within our church family, within our brothers and sisters in Christ, help us, Lord, to encourage one another, to lift each other up, and to have patience with one another and ourselves included, Lord. Don't let us be like the world. Help us through your Holy Spirit all because of Christ our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, Dano. If you turn to Second uh, Timothy. Second Timothy chapter four. As us elders thought about what to do um, and kind of shared what we we're thinking about, I had I had two different things that were on my mind and heart I wanted to share with you, and I'm going with one and not the other because Mitch very much spoke to that. So if you if you've caught so. Roger says, rehearse the gospel to yourselves continually. Dennis said, make a huge priority of your personal quiet time in the Word. Mitch says, let you, let you live your life according to the calling, the high calling that you have as a believer. Mine is extremely personal to me and is an exhortation to me. But there's an exhortation to you here as well. And I think you'll see what I mean just by reading the text, and then I'll explain for a little bit. Chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves 
teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Now look at verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Rhetorical question, in your lifetime, how many preachers have you seen fall morally? In your lifetime, how many preachers have you seen fall theologically, given to a very much more liberal flavor I mean liberal, not necessarily in politics, but liberal in, in theology. In your lifetime, how many times have you seen a preacher just really find a pet doctrine or something in particular that hijacked him from the gospel? In your lifetime, how many times have you seen a preacher just get exhausted, burned out, and quit? No sin? Just can't handle it anymore. Um, so you guys, most of you know me and know my personality is more of a kidding type, given a hard time to most people in this room. But there are some things that I take uh, to a level of seriousness higher than anything else. Now, I don't, I don't, not referring to myself, taking myself serious, but the task of preaching serious. Um, I don't joke about it very regularly, if ever. To me personally, it's not a joking matter in the least. The charge to open up the word, the revelation of God, and, and do your best to explain it to the people of God with the Spirit of God empowering that is daunting. And I told a brother a few weeks ago, I'm more fearful as a pastor than ever before, and it seems like the fear factor just keeps growing and growing the more I understand my God and his word and the calling on my life to preach this precious word. But would you notice how here the Apostle Paul speaking to Timothy, what he brings up as far as the level of seriousness? If you look at verse 1, he says, I charge you. And listen to the witnesses he brings. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and let me let you know who they are. To judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. So in light of them, in light of that, in light of all of that, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, which is another way of saying don't, don't fall. Don't, don't. There's never a time where you should not be ready to herald the word with complete patience and teaching. 
That's a burden I bear. And I love that burden. But it's a burden that I bear, and it's one that I fearfully and with trembling, more trembling each week, seek to do in this church. I've been tested in Genesis with that, with some passages that have been very tricky, Um, some passages that have really caused me to go, Lord, I know it's your word, I just don't know what it means. (laughs) But it does not change the call, the task to preach the word. I believe uh, God called me to do that, and that's the calling on my life. In high school, I used to preach to a blackberry bush in my parents' backyard. It's dead now. (laughs) But for many years, it lived. I feel that was God's hand on my life, and I still very much believe that. But I confess to you, um, trying to think how best to put this, I feel more weary under that burden. So, let me grab my emotions and stuff those down for a second. Um, The exhortation first is to me, to be faithful. Now let me share your exhortation. If you look down at the passage... The Apostle Paul says, the time is coming, and I would argue, is definitely here, when people will not endure sound teaching. Beloved, I think if, if, you, if I really pressed you, you would agree with me, and perhaps you'd agree quickly, there is a level of endurance needed when it comes to the understanding and the study of the Word of God. You endure sermons. I know there's all kinds of jokes and laughter we could put with that, but you endure it. You work with me on this. As I stand up here and do my best to explain Lot and his daughters, the whole issue with Jacob and his marital status, passages that may pierce you to the heart, passages that may really cause you to scratch your head, week after week after week after week, you come And you, with endurance, work through the Word. But Paul says there's going to be a time where people say, I don't want to endure with the Word. I don't don't want to hear that anymore. I'm sick of conviction. I'm tired of laboring over the text. And so what will I do? I will go find a preacher. I will go find a church that will tell me what I want to hear and that which is easy for me to hear and that which I can endure with great ease. And I'm happy and on my way to hell. And so I exhort you, endure. Now, you guys know what I mean by that, I believe. Uh, there's also a sweetness, the joy of the study of the Word, and I think we would all be in agreement on that. But he says there is going to come a time 
And I do think it is now, just turn on Christian television and watch for a few minutes and you'll come away knowing, wow, there are false teachers everywhere. And so this text that says, the time is coming, they will not endure sound doctrine. Sound, another word for sound doctrine would be healthy doctrine. Sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn, excuse me, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Beloved, I want to exhort you this morning. If throughout your life as a Christian, and perhaps I'm sure this has already happened, but I'm warning you for a future warning, okay? There will no doubt come a time where something is said from this pulpit that, that rushes you, that convicts you, that pricks your heart, and perhaps a temptation will be, I'm out of here. I'm going to flee. That's too difficult to hear. I'm walking. I want to prepare you, and this isn't for next week's sermon, but I want to prepare you, because brothers and sisters, all of us wrestle at times with the temptation to stop our ears to truth that tells us we're wrong. And some of the greatest pain in the life of the church. Oh, Dennis, we're brothers, it's fine. Some of the deepest pain in the church is when you watch somebody say, I do not wish to hear the truth anymore. There's a beautiful built-in accountability for me as the guy who preaches the majority of the time in this church because you have devoted yourself to sound teaching. You would catch me if I was bringing heretical teaching to you, unhealthy doctrine to you. And so there's this working relationship of one of the most important things in my life that I've dedicated my life to in preparing messages, bringing the word to you and doing my best to give an explanation. But beloved, I need you. I need your accountability. Yes, I believe by God design, you need me to bring the word to you, to preach the word, to be faithful to it. But I need you. I need you to endure with sound doctrine. I need you to search the Scriptures daily to see if what is said at PCBC is true. And so, with all of the incredible attacks on truth right now, beloved, this is a time for us to hunker down with the Word. That's why I thought it was great what Dennis brought, what Raj brought, and what Mitch brought. Because all three of those are vital to our health as a local body. But if we're a local body who are really nice to each other and the truth is not of great importance, then we're just another club. And I don't want just another club. I want us to be a people who love the truth, but even greater than that is we love the God of truth. 
It's God's truth. We love Him. And He, by His grace, has chosen to reveal Himself in written word. And so, you tell me how important the preaching of the word is. When I say preaching, I mean preaching, teaching, the the whole gamut. If God has desired and designed to reveal himself in his written word, then at what level of importance should that be held at Pacific Coast Bible Church? And so, I feel freshly scared to death for the task But it is my task, it is my and our elders' task to be faithful to this text. And beloved, it's your task to endure sound teaching. My prayer and my hope is that you don't have to endure too hard, but that you love hearing the truth. Your heart sings when you hear the truth. For you hear the voice of the shepherd. And I don't mean myself or the other brothers, but you hear the voice of Christ in his word. So, the way I look at it is um, that putting on the armor and going to bed. <laughs> That's great. I'm going to be using that for years. Um, beloved, the attacks are so immense and so varied and so complicated and so wisely thought out by the enemy and by this world. We must clothe ourselves in the word. We must clothe ourselves in the truth and plead with our Father to continually give us the appetite for the Word. That sound doctrine would be consistently taught and loved in this place. So let me pray, and then we're going to sing one more song, and I'm going to ask the elders to come up, and we want to pray over the body, and then we will go eat hamburgers. Let's, Let's pray.